This is exactly right. We all want attention. We all want to be seen. And we all want to be listened to. If you're not trying to do four things at a time, which I understand a lot of people have to do, but that kind of focused attention, I think many people bloom under that. And kids, for sure, even if they say something fantastical or whatever, it's like, well, then ask a couple of questions. What are you talking about? Can you draw me a picture of that? That whole idea where it's just, we're just here to hang out together. So whatever we're going to do, let's do it. That's fun. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is parenting advice from a non-parent with our very special guest, Karen Kilgariff. Hi, Dr. Dan. Hello, Karen. (laughs) Let me tell you guys about Karen, although you all know about her. I'm going to tell you about her anyways. Karen is a stand-up comedian, writer, producer, and co-host of the hit podcast, My Favorite Murder. Together, she and FMF co-host Georgia Hartstark founded the podcast network Exactly Right Media, an amazing network. They also authored the book Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered. Additionally, Karen's known for her work as a cast member on HBO's Mr. Show, as a writer on the FX series Baskets, and as the creative judge on True TV's talk show, The Game Show. She also co-hosts the podcast, Do You Need a Ride, with comedian Chris Fairbanks. Karen. Hi. So good to have you here and get (laughs) into one of your many areas of expertise, parenting. Okay. So <laughs> this is my specialty. Is Let me just tell you. Your jam. Okay. So let's start with um let's start with where you came from. Like what's your family like? Who are they? And mm-hmm. tell us tell us the these these who are these people that influenced you? Well, let's see. Um, I'm from Northern California. I was born in San Francisco and I was raised, my parents um, had kind of a funny experience. They lived in a place called Park Merced. And when my sister was two, when I was a newborn, she walked out the front door and was gone. And um, they, of course, like freak, my mother freaked out and they were running all over the neighborhood and she had just gone to the next door neighbor's house and was just like sitting with an old lady. Um, But that's when my parents decided they should move out of the city. They wanted uh, my sister and I to grow up um, kind of away from the city, you know, that kind of, they had this idea because they were both from San Francisco. So they wanted us to have kind of a idyllic country, you know, Mm -hmm. wide open spaces kind of uh, childhood. And so we moved to a town called Petaluma that's 30 miles north of San Francisco. And that's where I lived from um, when I was, uh, I think, two till till when I left for college. Um, And it was great. It was, you know, my parents are, uh, my mother was an only child. My dad had eight brothers and sisters. So there was a really nice range mm-hmm. of um, kind of family dynamics kind of going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had our, our next door neighbors, the hospitals were very good friends of my parents. So it was almost, kind of, we called them aunt and uncle mm-hmm. and the, their siblings, cousins, but we weren't blood related. But we basically, it was almost like a co-parenting situation. We had adults next door and kids, ne- older kids next door um, that were a big part of our growing up um, kind of community mm-hmm. um, and the way we grew up. And uh, yeah, we really did have, it was the kind of place where like we could as five and seven year olds walked down to the corner store, which was half a mile away. And my parents had no problem with it and didn't think twice about it because we were 
five miles out of town and um, the community was very close and, you know, it was a really, I didn't think much of it. I kind of, of course, assumed like a lot of people do that everybody grew up the same way I did. And it took me a while um, to understand that we really had a beautiful childhood that was very, um, very idyllic in a lot of ways. And we just kind of had, by being in this town, which was, um, it was, it used to be the egg capital of the world, Mm -hmm. Petaluma. Mm -hmm. So, um, there was like free range was just the standard. Like we didn't understand anything else. And of course, like there were cattle ranches like around the corner from our house. So everything we ate, every kind of everything around us was very, what you now pay $40 for at Whole Foods. Like that's what you got. Free range. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, non-GMO, right. you know, whatever. Right. Like we, we carpooled to school. This is one of my prouder brags. We carpooled to school every day with a Benedetti family who um, their family owned this dairy in town called Clover Stornetta, which is now the main Whoa. milk that they sell at Clover. Whole Foods. Yeah. yeah, because it's it's non-GMO. It's all, you know, it's all raised like that. We're at the time. So that was like, I see that milk and I'm like, oh, like hometown pride. Yeah. Like we we yeah. know the family that makes that milk. It was like that kind of really lovely um you know, really idyllic. Childhood. Yeah, Petaluma is is beautiful, and um, is tef- like all of our towns now has grown up. Um, still beautiful, still old town is awesome. Um, yeah, there's still open space, but you have to go a little wa- farther out for that open space. But it's yep. it's just a beautiful. It's country. It's beautiful country. It's real country. All yeah. those ca- all any car commercial you see that has a running white fence in it is is shot in the outer area in like the West Petaluma, West Marin area of that. It's just like, it's really gorgeous up there. And that, that would, that you would have had a different childhood if you stayed in the city, right? I mean, like the city's a great Absolutely. place too. Um, yes, it is. It's just very different. And your parents, so they're old school. Like you guys are old school San Franciscans. They've been around a while. Um, yeah. Did they, so give us give us the backstory then on mom and dad like one's you know your mom's only child your dad is uh, part of a part of a uh, a pack you know yes. what, what what are the different cultures that they bring to the family well it's interesting because um, sadly my mom had a very difficult childhood both of her parents were alcoholics um, and her father died when she was very young I think she was twenty. Um, and it was related, I think, to his drinking problems. She, she had the thing where her father would, um, he would get sober and everything would get better for two years and he would get a new job and they would get a new house and it would all get set back up. And then it would fall, he would go off the wagon, it would all fall apart. They would have to move to a different town. And that was, so she had a very rough and kind of, um, very inconsistent childhood that both of her parents were older and she just, she, she went on to become a psychiatric nurse. So she got very good at being able to share like what was hard about her young life and what she was trying to give us, you know, kind of to counteract that. And she, she knew that that life, um, set in her some issues like she never she was always looking for a new house so we would anytime there was an open house we would pull over and go inside which I loved it was always just fun and exciting but it for her it was this real compulsion that was completely about the that that kind of uh, that trauma from her childhood mm-hmm. of of the search is always on and the escape is always right set and that she wasn't prioritized as their child at all i mean this was you know the 40s and 50s um and she was made to feel like a problem for most of the time she had cousins that she really loved and she had my aunt Kay, um her best friend who she grew up with, she basically kind of adopted their family and was very much a part of her best friend's family and and felt like she got a lot that she wasn't getting um, from her own family from, from them, which was, which was nice. But I think it was, you know, that's a, it's a really tough, that's a really tough way to grow up. It is. Um, it is. And then on, on the other hand, and, and I'm sure this is part of the appeal for her, 
my dad's family, even though they were gigantic Irish family, you know, he's first generation, both my parents were, both my grandparents were immigrants. My grandfather was um, a plasterer and uh, they also had a family paper route that they all had to work on. Um, they were, and my grandmother, of course, she took care of the kids, but she also uh, babysat kids in the neighborhood. Um, so they're every, everything was about work in that family and about kind of earning your way and pitching in. And they all took care of each other. My dad told a story recently, we didn't know this, of like their, my Uncle John, his older brother, uh, him getting a job in his teens was the reason they got to have Christmas presents one year. Oh, wow. Like they were very yeah. much taking care of each other and, and you know, providing for each other. Very Irish Catholic. Um, you know, they said their rosary, I believe it was every Friday evening um you said the rosary i think Ugh, i would be in so much trouble if my grandmother heard this right now no and I one didn't is, know. no one is gonna hear this don't worry yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. we, we yeah. can just lay it all out yeah, there yeah but um but that family and their surrounding family like my my grandmother emigrated to america with her two sisters so the three of them came together um they came through, this is actually my, tell it quickly, but my favorite story, my favorite family story is they came through Ellis Island. They got picked up by a sponsor, which back then, that's the setup, right, that your family made. They paid someone in America to like look after and take care of you and put you in a place and then get you a job. Um, and so they got picked up in El at Ellis Island by a guy in a white linen suit. And he brought them to the Lower East Side and put them into a room in a tenement house and when he left, he said, I'm coming back tomorrow and we're going to sign you up at the, you know, the work, wherever, the some work agency. And he left and my grandmother, who was the middle sister, so she had a younger and an older sister and she was 17. And she turned to them and said, I don't know about you, but I'm not staying here. <laughs> so so they, they had had a postcard of San Francisco um, back home on their farm in uh, Longford. Ireland. And she was like, let's go to San Francisco. The streets are very clean and wide there. That's, you know, that's where it's at. So they took a train the next morning. They just left. They got on a train to Chicago and then out. We're out. Yes. They're yeah. just like, yeah. no. And it was her, it was her kind of saying, this isn't right for us. And we can't just accept like where we're landing, which I think mm, is, that's strange. It makes me it yeah. made me, it really makes me so proud. It, she, my grandmother was amazing and she was hilarious. She was truly one of the funniest people I've ever met. Um, yeah. So then they came to San Francisco and basically got jobs as maids. Um, she worked for, she worked for and lived in the house of a very wealthy family in Seacliff, which is like mm -hmm. a very fancy yes, area of San yes. Francisco. And, um, and basically kind of got on her feet and, um, she really loved that family that she worked for. She always spoke very highly of them. And then she met my grandfather at like an Irish dance. Um, of course. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's how you do it. Yeah, Down yeah. at like the hall or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Grange. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so that the Kilgariff side of my family are, um, yeah, they're like, it's the good Irish as they call it in, uh, at least in my family, <laughs> there's like the, the good Irish who are like the family loves each other and it's it's kind of like always a party and good mm -hmm. times. Sure, they get into fistfights at weddings, which I've seen many times, yeah. but always with yeah. other people, right. not with themselves. Exactly. Um, always just with someone on the street. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, but, but the bad Irish is more of my mother's side, which is, the, you know, um, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental illness that's untreated, a lot of kind of... Uh, you know, you have your fancy lace curtains in the front window, but it's covering yeah. up all the real sadness and the, mm. and the, um, and just the unprocessed everything. It's just, you know, the repression and, yeah. you know, I, yeah. being Irish Catholic is, is quite something in terms culturally. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot going on. So, so it was great because I think my mom met my dad and his family and was just kind of like, oh, my God, it's this big, gigantic kind mm -hmm. of roiling um, group of people that all, you know, really, really loved each other. And they just were it was just kind of like we're we're making it work. You yeah. know, they were when, can do people. When did so when like you talk about this with such um, obvious insight and awareness and knowledge of 
where you came from. When do you remember becoming aware of this? Like who your mom was as a person and who she, you know, where she came from and then your dad and his family. Do, I mean, do you remember when it all started to either you make sense or used to question or, you know, looked out from just those kid eyes? Um, you know, when we think our parents are just the most amazing people in the world and then we're like, yeah. oh, they're human too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that took me a while because I think... Um, I don't know. My mom was always just very upfront about, you know, her mother, my grandmother, who was a great grandmother. Like, I would have never thought anything was wrong with her. Yeah. I would have thought she would have been the best mother because she was a, an amazing grandmother. Mm -hmm. Like, she loved hanging out with us and um, playing cards and, you know, joking around. She would do this thing. We went to a place it, that's uh, this beautiful place in Glen Ellen, which is like, it's so funny to have grown up in a place that's now this kind of destination. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a fancy place, whereas yeah. it used to just kind of be the country. But there was a place called Morton's Warm Springs in Glen Ellen. And it was basically, you drive and you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's kind of rolling hills around you. And then you turn left into this driveway and there is basically this place set up with these beautiful um, kind of terraced lawns. And then there's a big pool, a medium-sized pool, and a kiddie pool. And then there's kind of like a, there was like a um, screened-in arcade area. Then there was like a creek that ran through it. And then in the back, there was like picnic tables. It was, so we would go there like a couple times every summer. I can see it. That was a great description. I can, I can see it. <laughs> I yes. can too. Yes. It was, yes. it, it was, so like things like that, that you're getting as a kid, as the automatic, like I just didn't understand how, there was lots of kids that didn't get anything like that. It just seemed to me to be like, this is where your parents take you on the weekend, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, my grandmother, when she would come on those trips, because she lived, she moved up to Petaluma into like a mobile home park um, uh, after a while, because she was living by herself in the city for a long time. And then she eventually moved in with us and she eventually got uh, Alzheimer's. Um, so she was with us for a while. But when I was, little she would come on those weekends to morton's and she, her whole thing was she would put on a bathing suit but she couldn't swim <laughs> and she couldn't swim and she couldn't drive and so she would pull up a, a folding chair up next to the medium-sized pool and we would be swimming and get grandma watch me do this watch and she would sit there as if it was the most fascinating thing she'd ever seen in her life too like a five-year-old and a seven-year-old swimming and just screwing around and she would everything we did she just thought was amazing and she oh you're you swim like little fish it was like now i understand it was this gratitude that she had for having this kind of like it was like a second chance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was the thing i don't know if she had the bandwidth to do for my mother when right. she was in this terrible marriage you know right and trying to deal with a serious alcoholic yeah um yeah. so i didn't get any of that dynamic and they were really good at hiding, like my mother and grandmother would fight or anything like that. It was like, you, we never knew about it. Um, so that all kind of came as a reveal later on. Um, and then my dad, he was a fireman in San Francisco. So he was, you know, it was like uh, three days on, four days off or vice versa. So, and my mom worked. So oftentimes my dad was kind of the stay-at-home mom role. Um, and so he was very much, you know, a, 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 in everything, the way kind of your classic mom, especially in the 70s, right? because not a lot of moms worked. And I, there was a little bit of like, oh, is that, are we weird? Because my mom would never be there on like field trips or she didn't, she wasn't waiting at home with a plate of cookies, which mm -hmm. I was always really mad and would tell her like, comparing her to Mrs. Cunningham on Happy Days or something <laughs> right, of like, right. we're getting ripped right, off. And right. she'd be like, too bad. I have yeah. a career. Um, but my dad was great in that role and really great with kids because he raised all of his own brothers and sisters, helped raise them. And, you know, they were basically like trained. Um, I think the Kilgariff side, they really loved kids and they really respected kids kind of like from the get-go. You know, you were always talked to like a fully formed person. No no one ever talked down to you. People were always very interested in what you had to say. If they asked you, you know, how school was going 
or something, they really expected you to tell them a story, you know? That's, and that, they, yeah, I'd say that's, that's, um, oh, I don't want to say rare. I, actually, I do feel back in the day that was more rare. Like in the, in the modern yeah. um, parenting world, um, there's a lot more being talked about of talking to kids with respect and, you know, valuing them as another human being. Um, so for you to have gotten that back then, um, I mean, that's something because obviously you are aware of it now. I mean, to be the way that it made you feel as a, yes. as an important person in the family. Totally. And like, uh, yeah, we, when we'd go say, my dad would go over and visit because my grandparents eventually also moved out of San Francisco and they moved right over the hill into a little town near Sonoma called El Verano. And we would go over on Sunday and just, he, would, my dad would always go, we're just going to go have a visit. And that meant we sat around at my grandmother's kitchen table. Their house was so small. It was so funny. But the, but if like it was a holiday, literally there'd be like 35 people jammed into this house. It was hilarious. Um, but when you'd go for a visit, you would sit there. My grandmother always had a pot roast on the oven all mm -hmm. day and night, no matter what was going on. You could always get a, a piece of pot roast, which is really hilarious and specific. But most of the time she would like sit down, she would serve coffee and some kind of a pastry and then they would have a visit. And that basically just meant going over the family gossip and the like people we know gossip. Um, uh, and you got to be in that. You sat, you were expected to sit at the table, um, eat your whatever they gave you and kind of listen and hang out. And then eventually they would turn to you and be like, so what's, so now it's your turn basically. And so we were, it was like kind of this training that I didn't know I was getting to be a part of things and knowing that eventually I was going to get asked some questions and that they wanted to hear the answers and they wanted, they genuinely, it wasn't, it wasn't perfunctory. They wanted to know what was going on and what I thought of things and had I heard about this and do I know, but it was really, it, it was so, I kind of passed heartwarming because it was like really having a relationship with a real person, not just a grandparent that's patting you on the head. Right. You know? Right, right. So this clearly is your earliest, um, your your early training as a parenting expert came in the way, <laughs> you know, I'm yep. only being half facetious, it, and the way like you were actually treated, you know, so yeah. it's like, what did you, like, as, as you're reflecting now, like, what are those things that you're like, wow, these, these are things I recommend and also like, mm, you know, no, 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 like that's not, that's not helpful. I mean, I guess these are the thing, you know, when they came up for me was when my sister had her daughter, my niece, Nora, who was, you know, the timing was really perfect because later on, my mom also developed early onset Alzheimer's and it was a really difficult time in the family. And then my sister had this baby and suddenly it was like, we had something else to focus on something really positive. And she was, I think because there were so many people that were just always like looking her in the eye, you know, like paying attention to her, talking directly to her. That mixed with the fact that my sister was by herself. So she would put the baby down, you know, like on a blanket and go get the laundry. Nora would just like try to follow her. So Nora started walking really early. She started talking really early, like blew the pedi the pediatrician's mind. My my sister's the pediatrician would be like, do you understand what it's like to be able to talk to a nine month old baby? My wow. sister's like, I don't wow. know. She's just that's what she's doing. But I I believe part of it, I think she's has a very smart brain. Her father was very smart. Um, and my sister's very smart. But uh, I also think it's because she was constantly engaged, you know, in her face. It was like we would ask her questions. We would talk to her. Um, even, you know, from a very young age, she was she got that same kind of treatment. You know, it's a thing of pull the high chair up to the table and make her sit there and eat dinner with us, even if she doesn't necessarily like it or whatever. It's like, no, you're here at the table with the adults. So to me, I think that presence, I mean, it's like yeah. presence. It's like staying present and engaging. And yeah. um, it's also non-distracting, right? I mean, you're, what, what I'm imagining with all of, um, you know, we didn't have all the, uh, 
social media and the trinkets and technology uh, when you and I were growing up. But, you know, in this day and age, it's so easy to be distracted while our kids are eating, while our kids are bathing, while our kids, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not getting that. I'm getting um, engagement and um, really paying attention. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think the benefit, uh, first of all, you know, she was an only child. And then there was lots of adults around my niece who were so excited, you know, for her and about her that she, if, you know, if my, and everyone knew my sister was tired. She was a working single mom, you know, so it was like, there were lots of people there to just kind of come in and, and take, help her out. And, and she had lots of cousins and stuff. So I think there's that, there's the regard, but also, I remember having conversations with Nora and remember as it was happening going like, oh, I'm doing this because this is what people did for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not asking a question because you're just trying to like distract them or to what not, it, there's nothing condescending about it is like, um, you know, if we go to the park, what's the thing you're most excited about doing? Or, you know, oh, what if after the park we get ice cream? What kind would you like? And Nora got into this thing of like, she wanted to order for herself. <laughs> she wanted to go in by herself to the ice cream parlor and order for herself. And she was like four years old. It was the funniest mm -hmm. thing. We'd stand outside and watch. And she was, that was her whole thing is like, she was very positively engaged with everyone around her, which then made adults who might otherwise be distracted or not pay attention, they would suddenly be like, this baby's talking to me, you right. know, like, right. And but I think, yeah, I think that kind of, that's what we got in that way where when your aunt, your uncle would sit down to talk to your grandparents, um, they would be asking you questions and expect you to give them a full answer. If not an anecdote that was kind of interesting, you know what I mean? If like you couldn't deliver a good story or whatever, it's like, all right, well, you know, we'll move on to your cousin. Like there's other people that we can be talking to. So you had that thing of, you knew that you were, you kind of understood what your pe what your place was and what you were being mm -hmm. asked to do. So you had to kind of dig around and go, what is the most interesting thing I did at school this week? or whatever, and like tell grandma a good story. Well, it instills confidence. I mean, you know, you can reflect on your, what we're getting from Nora is like, there's this confidence of, yeah. um, you know, I want to do it and I can talk to people and people actually want to listen to me. It doesn't matter how old I am. Did yep. you, did you feel like, I mean, I don't know if I'm projecting here. It just sounds like you felt a sense of confidence. Like it really, it really gave you a sense of inner what? What we say, inner stability, inner what? Security, Security. right? Security, there I we think, go. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, in a way that I, yeah, it's, yeah, that the assumption that if someone's asking you a question, they want to know the answer. Um, yeah, something about the conversational aspect of treating kids like they're, just like anybody else at the table type of feeling. I think oftentimes in, you know, not every kid, but I think a lot of kids really, they want, we all want attention. We all want to be mm -hmm. seen mm -hmm. and we all want to be listened to. And if you give a kid, you know, if you're like, if you're not trying to do four things at a time, which I understand a lot of people have to do, but that kind of focused attention, I think many people bloom under that. And kids for sure, even if they say something, you know, weird or, you know, fantastical or whatever. It's like, well, then ask a couple questions. What are you talking about? Can you draw me a picture of that? Like that whole idea where it's just, we're just here to hang out together. So whatever we're going to do, you know, let's do it. That's fun. Right. So it's about pulling things out of kids, getting them to dig deep, getting them to express themselves, not shutting them down. Like, no, that's ridiculous. No, you, that's not possible. Or, yes. you know, or they don't respond quick enough. So then we just go on to somebody else or ask a different <laughs> question. Or the thing that, and this is the kind of thing that if like my sister heard me doing any of this, she'd be like, oh, really? Oh, really? I guess you know everything. But my, my big criticism of the kind of parenting I see a lot of the time is me asking a kid a question and getting the answer from the parent. It makes me crazy where I'm like, if I wanted to talk to you, I'd be talking to you. I want to talk to this person over here who's actually much more interesting than you are. So clear the clear the area. You know, it's that um, we're, I'm not here to collect information about your trip to Disneyland. I'm here to get 
her impression of what that trip was like. Yeah. So please don't yeah. answer for her. Yeah. yeah. And don't and don't set a set a um, habit where if your child pauses for more than three seconds, someone's going to come in and take over because of course it's. Yeah, then you don't have to. And then mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, mm, you don't. You can do whatever you want. You can be in your own little world as a kid. But to be drawn out of that world by an adult who actually is interested yeah. is such, I think, an, kind of an enriching experience. At least it was for me. Such yeah. an enriching experience. Well, I'll, I'll validate that. I mean, I'll, like, it, it is. And um, it's, it's something special about how you were raised and now how... Um, you and your sister are treating Nora clearly. And it also speaks to, you know, when we talk about parenting and we talk about parent footprint, like we do what was done to us and much of it is not conscious. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like you were just doing it. And then you later were like, Oh, Oh yeah, this is how I was treated. And this is why it's so important for parents to try to be conscious and try to be aware and try to take the stuff they liked from how they were raised and try to tweak the stuff that they didn't like, because of course we also do the stuff that we didn't, that was done to us that we necessarily didn't like too. That can happen as well. So it um, is really trying to be mindful um, about what we're doing when we're raising kids. And what I hear you saying also is that like you want to know what you want to know what she's about. Mm hmm. Right. Like that's an intention that you have when you're interacting with her. Yeah. Well, because I think it was really mind blowing for definitely for me, but I think my sister, too. I think all of us that my niece came out and was really such this person almost automatically, like from a very young age, it was just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like it was she was a fascinating individual. Um, She walked really early and talked really early. So it was the kind of thing where you it, it was easy to spend time with her because she was kind of fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, and she really could tell you about how she felt and what she was thinking. And um, and then also I think there was that consciousness that came from my mom's side because my mom tried so hard not to do the things she knew were ingrained in her because mm-hmm. some of the things ingrained in her were really bad. and um, And I think that's why she went into psychiatric nursing i think she was just like really wanted to make a you know a Mm -hmm. split from those experiences and those habits um so she was always very kind of uh she was definitely at least very verbal about those concerns Mm -hmm. and she also always was telling my sister and i like please don't fight you are you should be best friends and you're the two people that you have in the world like you don't understand what it's like to not have anybody so common for only kids uh to really be um horrified when there's when their kids fight because they're (laughs) they were just always dreaming oh my god if i just had someone i would i would just love to hang out with them i would never fight with them and then so sometimes (laughs) it's an overcorrection because fighting of course siblings are where we actually learn a lot about the world so did, did she rush <laughs> in, did she rush in a little early like you're like no she's just being a total like was she was it like you she didn't want you to fight at all um well the thing about it was because she worked and we were you know on when my dad was at the firehouse we were latchkey kids most of the time so she would come in on the kind of like at around 7 30 when we had fought ourselves out and it was just kind of like well I kicked a hole in the bottom of Laura's door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, here's the thing or whatever. And she would, it would almost be like post the post fight talk right, down. Right, right, Um, But she was also, yeah, I think she just had that. She was always trying to explain how good we had it to yeah. us where we were like, really? I don't, what are you talking about? It was like, right. this is regular life to us. Right. And she could see it for what she and my father were really trying to build for us and, right. and kind of like have for us. So she, well, you know, yeah, she did it. I mean, like when you she think did. about like what she came from and, um, and then what she and your dad provided for you and your sister, um, yeah. like mission accomplished. I know. I mean, really. And in a way that like, 
Yeah, I wish she because she and I fought, especially when I got into high school, there were definitely certain things that were just kind of, I think, like left over from the time 50s and 60s where she was coming up where she was very, very uh, critical about any kind of weight gain. And my sister had no problem with that, like when she was a teenager. But I had like this weird weight gain in high school that I'm sure was about Um, I mean, a lot of things, but it was like kind of out of the blue and it was pretty, you know, I think I gained like 40 pounds between like sophomore and junior year or something. And she just acted like it was the worst thing in the world. And it was really damaging. And I think it it set this kind of like rebellion in me where it was like, well, you know, well, if you don't like it, then I guess fuck you. I mean, like it was... Because it's your mom. So you're just yeah. kind of, it's like a this kind of rejection, which I think she didn't understand the depth of how painful that is because I think she got that all the time from her parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't to her, I think she was thinking, oh, I'm just going to help you. And then if I tell you, if I criticize you enough, you'll stop doing this and then you'll be fine. And so right. it's for your own good kind of thing. Right. So there right. was a couple things like that where when she had, she was great. Like my mom was the mom that all of our friends liked talking to mm-hmm. and she she did it really well in like all these ways but when she fell down it was like on it was on these areas that were super sensitive and that mm-hmm. really sucked. So mm-hmm. she and I had like a kind of a rocky relationship and then it was just me kind of like always trying to I think because I had such such a solid foundation, I was like, I remember being like 12 years old and being like, me and my mom driving in the car, I'm like, I can't wait to move out of this town. And she was <laughs> like, Karen, that hurts my feelings. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was like, why yeah. would you care? You right. know what I mean? Like, right. it didn't, it's, it was that. I think we were spoiled in like the best way. Yeah. Spoiled yeah. with kind of consistency and care and attention. So my need to kind of be independent and like break mm-hmm. out and do the things, you know, go chase my dreams. I did have the confidence that was set by her and my dad right. to go do that. Which, which you have very have, much. Yeah. 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 I just want to go back to the that real the real point in time because there's so many lessons in there for you know you said you know your mom's probably coming from a place of um first of all probably being criticized for everything and as you said she's probably thinking like well I'm just I'm I'm not criticizing you I'm just trying to help you because I love you yeah. um which of course it wasn't really received that way what what can you say to parents you know about when their kids are having changes, identity changes, physical changes, right? Trying things on. What would you say is the approach during those sensitive times? I mean, I can't even pretend that I know what the correct approach would be. This is really where I'm out of my depth. But but what I would say is, I think my mom, because I look a lot like my mom, and definitely did back then. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of identifying mm. that was going on with her that I didn't understand that it was she basically thought she was talking to herself. Because looking back when I looked back at pictures like years later at the time, my mom was overweight. So she was it was kind of like uh, she was talking projecting. to herself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and kind of like if we if we both just get real tough about this, we're going right. to solve it right. or something. Um maybe that's a piece of it. I think that idea that your child really is a fully formed person that is separate from you. Right. It's not some version of you. And 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 having a you know a little bit of healthy distance to let that person figure out who they are and be who they are. Like there was like, I I got this really awesome prom dress when I was a senior that she splurged on because it was way more expensive than I thought she would ever spend. And I was really excited and it was such a cool dress. And it was, you know, it was like, it was such a great, I was so excited. And then on the drive home, she goes, what's great about this is you, you can, you can wear this dress to a fraternity dance when you go to college. And I was like, 
mom, I'm never going to a fraternity dance. Like, what are you talking about? I, like, I dyed my hair black last week. Like, that's, I'm yeah. not that that's person. Not me. Yeah. That's not me. But it's her, it's her version of what a successful young woman would spend her time doing, right. I guess. Right. So there was not a ton of interest in the reality of what I liked and was doing. Like, I remember <laughs> I was telling my, um, my sister, the story or whatever, or no, my cousins came to visit the ones that were not related next door neighbors. And I was telling a story of, um, when I was a senior in high school was the first year they had the theater department at my high school. Um, so I, of course, we, you know, we all signed up for it or whatever. And so there was a night of one act plays and there was, we did, of course we did Shirley Jackson's The Lottery one of the classics and then they did uh no exit and then the third one was me and this guy in my class and it was it was a comedy scene it was really good it was like two people who meet on a park bench and it was kind of i don't know it was whatever but it was great and like we did it for the school and then we did it for like the parents at night one night and mm -hmm. people went crazy and so i remember going back home that night after the play and it was my my mom and my dad and my aunt and my real aunt and uncle, my related aunt and uncle, and then my aunt Jean and my cousin Cheryl and all these people standing in the kitchen. And when I walked in the house, they all were like, Wah! like they were screaming. They were like, you were so good. We can't believe it. And I was like, you can't believe it. I've been trying to do like a show for you in the front room since I was four years old. Like, mm. how did you not know yeah. I would be good at this when this is all I've been doing, showing off and doing voices and trying to, you know, like be the yeah. center of attention. And they were, they were so shocked. And I was just like, you people, you know, like this was, this was mid eighties. It was so yeah. pre the helicopter parenting thing. Right. When the opposite. It was the, it was truly the opposite where they yeah. it was a discovery for them yeah. through the school that this is something that I was good at. It was hilarious. Mm. I um I'm thinking about what you said about the separation uh of child and of a parent and child and that is something that a lot of parents uh struggle with. Um, for lots of different reasons. I mean, there's so much pressure these days for your kids to be successful and your kids to be on this team and your kids, right, to be in this club Ugh. and be with this coach and all of that stuff that it starts to merge because it's almost like your child, how they're doing, how they're feeling, what they're producing becomes representative of like how you are as a parent. And so I'm saying that to everyone also is like not judgment or blame just like more of a like this is a, a a reality of a situation and and what you're saying Karen it's like so important to know where that line is of who am I who are they and to be aware of like if if you are concerned about your child's um choices or your child's health it's like to check yourself first before you just kind of come out with it yeah well and yeah, because a lot of it is, if I had had the awareness, I mean, you can't, I don't think I could have at the time, but it was that kind of thing of, instead of criticizing me, what would be great is if I watched you take care of the problem you have, and then I would know how to do it. Yes, yes. But it was almost like, and this would happen a lot. I think this was, I think this is the reason that the people my age became the kind of parents that they became, because we were left to our own devices all the time for big problems and little problems. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was, we'll figure it out, um, you know, or ask your friend or something. Mm -hmm. But, the, you know, I remember filling out college applications by myself and mm -hmm. thinking to myself, shouldn't some adult be watching me do this? <laughs> or, you know, shouldn't there be some kind of input other than whatever I'm trying to figure out? There was, it was that kind of thing that now, now that I see, you know, almost most of the people who are my age, their kids are at least in their 20s now, yeah. but they went hard in those early days where it was just like right. constant driving people places, constant, totally you know, different. they're there for every game. Right. Totally. Yeah. We were talking with our uh, our oldest recently and she, uh, she was talking, we we're talking about like taking her to college the first time and, you know, load up the car, travel, get all the stuff, blah, 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 blah. 
And then uh, my wife was comparing it to, she's like, huh? Oh, my daughter said like, you know, is this what, you know, you know, did your parents take you? And my wife's like, well, um, I actually remember like loading my bug and driving to school and then unpacking by myself. Like it was yeah. a completely different experience. So I think you're making a good point. Like there is some maybe over correction or maybe overcorrection <laughs> from some of the um, independents. Um, but also you said something super, super important that applies to so much. You said if, you know, the best thing your mom could have done if she was worried about my health or um, my weight is take care of her own. And, you know, and that just goes back to like, like I hope like parents, we can feel as parents that, gosh, the only thing we actually can control in life tends to be, you know, most of the time our behavior and how we live our life. You know, we can't always control it as much as we want, but trying to control others, particularly our kids, it never works well. And particularly yeah. when you have teenagers, right? it just does not work well. But our kids are looking to us, even when we think they do not give a rat's ass. <laughs> they, they are looking to us to see how we're living our life and taking notes and making their own adjustments based on that. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is it now makes it all kind of makes sense to me. And it's a, the kind of thing that I'm starting to really, especially in quarantine, got into because my mom would come home at like 730 or eight o'clock after having worked at a mental hospital, having been the head nurse at a mental hospital all day long. And she would call us like at 530 and say, will you please clean the kitchen? Mm -hmm. Will you please take out the you know hamburger? Will you do this? Will you do that? We would never do it. We wouldn't do anything. So mm -hmm. she'd walk in the door. We'd be laying on you know, across all the couches watching TV and she would just, ugh, and she would just be like done. And then she would have to start dinner. And so the dinner, the making of dinner every night that she had to do it was a burden. It drove her crazy. She hated it. We'd order out all the time. And then when my dad was home, he would make it and it would all be great. And when she'd come home from work, we'd all be set and we'd sit down to dinner. So there was this kind of thing built in where, um, that I've, I started talking to my therapist about like 10 years ago or something of like, when I, like when I start to get hungry at night, there's a tinge of like sorrow that yeah. is attached yeah. to it. Bitterness. Yes. It's so, it's so beyond yeah. just like pull something out of the, you know what I mean? Right. Heat something up. You're fine. But it gets very, it's, uh, it's tied to all that stuff. And yeah. I think it's also partially tied to guilt that we didn't help her right. guilt that we were just like, mm, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you yeah. going to do? Hit me. <laughs> Cause they, yeah. that was the other thing. My mom, they was very, very, um, adamant or like, it was very important to her. We never were hit. We right. were never threatened. Right. We were yelled at, of course, but in a way that like they almost instilled in a instilled all the rules in a very when we were young. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to get yelled at because we knew just don't right. do that. It's gonna right. cause problems or whatever. But there were there was never any kind of any kind of hitting or anything. That was that was I a conscious a, decision. Right. There we go. Yeah, like something big. that they did not were not gonna repeat. Yes. 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 Hugely and, important. And um, I'm glad you got those great meals. Everyone knows that firefighters generally are amazing cooks. The, truly yes. the best. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we, we would get <laughs> yeah. it every once in a while. And I have to say, my mom did have a couple of those like Campbell Soup 70s recipes that were so good in nice. how bad they yes. were. Like yes. minute rice, three soup chicken, and mm. like frozen corn. Yes. You know, there were some things that she that she did well, but it was like now my sister is I, I can't say a thing about our mom uh, but, or the way she raised us because my sister's like, you have no idea. You yeah. have no idea how hard it was for her. Right. Right. I'm like, you're right. I right. have no idea. Right. And one of the other reasons also that makes you such an excellent parenting expert. You <laughs> you know, you know these things, Karen. <laughs> OK, so uh, parent footprint moment. Here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. So tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or an awareness of your parents and that new awareness had a positive impact on yourself and those you care about and your life. Okay. 
Well, the one I the first one I thought of was um, it's about my dad because I didn't my friends' dads. There's some that I never saw. Mm-hmm. Like the, in the '70s, dads were not did, weren't around, or they would they were kind of in like a weird smoky, you know, brown liquor background kind of thing, or they were in the, in the TV room walking watching Smokey and the Bandit by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it what it was very like non nuclear in that way. Except for my dad, who was kind of the one that was like he was standing there on the playground with the moms. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. was, he was in the mix so much. He would go. He went on field trips with us. Um, it was great. And there was a time, and the earliest one was so he used to have to drive me in the morning to go get shots because I had really bad allergies as a kid, mm-hmm. and so I would go get um, shots. I think. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or something like that. And it was in the town, Terralinda, which is a little bit south of Petaluma. And there was one morning, and this is about as 70s as things can get. So I was probably six years old. He he wanted to run into the Safeway to get a newspaper, but he didn't have any change. Or he the newspaper, like, dispenser machine mm-hmm. was outside but he had to go in to get change so he just we were standing next to the newspaper machine he goes he goes wait right here i'll be right back so he left me outside the store which was absolutely standard yep. at the time yeah and as i was standing there um uh an unhoused man will say mm-hmm. came up dressed very shabbily and almost scarily he kind of mm-hmm. looked like you know, he looked like something from the Saturday the Saturday morning live action shows, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Sigmund and the Sea Monsters. Yeah, he was, yeah. you could almost yeah. not see a person underneath all the layers of clothes, really dirty face. Kind of, he came up and he was shit face drunk. I mean, mm-hmm. I could smell it on mm-hmm. him. And he put his hand, it was like he also wanted to get a newspaper. He put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out like almost a cartoonishly, hilarious like it was like a broken crayon and lint Mm. and you know whatever and no of course no money and he stood there kind of weaving on his feet back and forth staring and staring at his hand and i was just staring at his hand with him because he was just standing in front of me and he looked at like he was looking down and then he looked up and he goes what are you looking at asshole (laughs) And, and i was like wait what (laughs) like like what and but before i could even react that man was in my six-year-old eyes he was flying through the air and Mm. my dad of course had been walking up uh seeing that a man was talking to me or at least standing near me he walked up and just kicked him right in the ass and so he just kind of like flew over that way and then my dad got his paper and the guy of course immediately started yelling like you son of a bitch i'm gonna call the cops and i'm like dad he's gonna call the cops he's like it's fine and he grabbed my hand and we got in the car and then on the ride up to getting my shots i just had this thing of like i'm completely safe Mm. like nothing even when i come close to something that feels just the second it becomes threatening, mm-hmm. there is a person that is looking out for me always. Mm. And so that was a that was a very early memory on top of anytime we went to the park or we were in a pool, my dad ended up, you know, like the thing was, if he th- picked me up and threw me across the pool, then kids would start lining up and <laughs> yeah. he would have to just yeah. keep throwing kids off across the pool all day. Or like at the park, there were these cool swings that were like, one on each side in a mm-hmm. t-shape and so he would get my sister and i would sit in the swings on either side and he would hold the pole in the middle grab one swing and then walk around so that you when he let go we would just be flying like it was a ride at the fair and kids would line up and he would just keep doing it for everybody in the park so there was this kind of very overt protection and very overt providing of like your fun here at the park is important. Like yeah. it's yeah. it's a priority. I will spend my time making sure you have fun and making sure all these yeah. stranger kids who are also at the park by themselves have fun. And it it always just was like I, there was no specific idea in my mind except for just like that's that's my dad. That's mm. what my dad is like and mm-hmm. does. So much of your narrative uh, of your stories of your 
memories are um, being like treated with respect, uh, presence, uh, engagement, and mattering on top of safety, which yeah. is which is um, it's really special. It really was. It, yeah, I just just to. The first, and this, it's kind of embarrassing to say this, but one of the first realizations of how much that was true for me was when I moved to Los Angeles. So I was like 24 years old mm -hmm. and we went to um, my friend's Christmas party and she um, told everybody, please bring an unwrapped gift. And so she kept kind of reminding people. And when we finally got there, you know, I gave her the stuff that I brought and I'm like, God, those seem like you really went crazy on the unwrapped gift plan or whatever. And I was kind of like, obviously this is a big deal to you. And I was being very sarcastic about it. And she goes, well, yeah, that's just because one year my mom said that we weren't going to have Christmas. And then we actually opened the door and somebody had done it for us. So it's really important that I do it. And I was standing there like, first of all, I was so embarrassed that I was making fun of that to her. Mm. I never thought about the fact that wouldn't, that yeah. just was not a reality in yeah. my life. Yeah. And it was so humbling and so like, it just made me realize like the depth of which, because that's probably what both my parents, they had to deal with right. at some point in their lives. Right. And that just this idea that I had that level of that, I think that's privilege, you know, yeah. when you don't even consider that sure. kind of experience. For sure. Yeah. And I was old. I yeah. mean, old. Yeah. old. <laughs> And we're air quoting that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Karen. Thanks for um, sharing your story, your, uh, your life with us. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot in there, and this is why um, this is why we uh, are talking about parenting advice because you know as we talk about this in a bit tongue in cheek, in reality, um, the the parenting advice that comes through you is completely out of your experience of how you were parented by your extended family um, and your parents. So yeah, I was you. lucky. I, yeah. I feel very lucky. Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk about it. Tell everyone, uh, tell everyone about the network, the podcasts, um, what, <laughs> what they should be looking out for. Let's see. Well, um, the network is exactly right. Media, which is a, Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is on, which we are so excited. Um, loved that idea that Georgia's like, Georgia's like, my cousin has a podcast. We're like, what? <laughs> um, and the idea, I really do love this podcast. I love the idea that people can listen and get um, such good kind of beautiful advice from you. It's really nice. Um, we, yeah, so we're just kind of always working on on new podcasts. We have Waiting for Impact coming out, which is with Dave Holmes. That's about... Uh, a, a little known boy band that kind of came and went in 1991. And Dave basically goes, he's trying to figure out where they went. Um, and that's coming out, I think in two weeks, um, uh, might be next week. We'll let you know if you follow exactly right on social media, you will absolutely know. Um, and then my favorite murder, we took a very long summer break for the first time in five years. Yes, you did. Um, it was great, and we really needed it, and we we're very grateful to be able to do it. But we're back now with um, regular new episodes, so um, anyone who was waiting for us to come back, we're back. And yeah, everything else you can kind of find out on our socials. Um, I think that's about it. I think that's it. Yeah, check out exactlyrightmedia.com. Everything's on there. My favorite murder.com. Uh, Stuff is on there too. Amazing yeah. merch too. You guys are not going to want to miss the merch. Oh, yes. the, merch, the merch. Our passion. Yes. Yeah. All right, everyone. That concludes another show. Tell everyone about this episode. Have everyone become a member of our community. We take everyone. We love everyone with joining us in our mission about making the world a more loving, compassionate place, one person at a time. Try to be that person you want your child to become. They're always watching, always. And ask yourself the question I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave?
This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.